Hello again, friends, and welcome to the November episode of Access City Hall on the Madison City Channel. I'm your host, Stu Levitan. It's nice to have you with us. You know, among the many things Madisonians love, planning, community, and economic development are certainly high on the list. Well, at least two out of three. And that is why the city has created the, an entire department devoted to those pursuits, the aptly named Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development. And as its name indicates, it is a sprawling agency that encompasses everything from historic preservation to high-tech investments, child care to the senior center, food carts to tax incremental financing. Natalie Erdman is the director of the PCDED, and she is with us now to discuss its many important activities. Natalie, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. You are entering this job facing very high expectations. People were practically pleading with you to take this job. Is, is that somewhat daunting or liberating in a way? Well, I think it's liberating. To come into a job that's very difficult like this one and have people's support is really important. I, I, it's, it would be almost an impossible job if you didn't have people supporting you and wanting you to succeed, and I feel like I have that. What was your initial reluctance to take it on a permanent basis? Um, I was hoping that the city would find somebody who was fantastic, could come in and um, do what needed to be done in the department to really motivate employees and uh, help our staff achieve as much as they're capable of achieving. And the city did not find somebody that they were satisfied with in the first round. Um, and so that made me decide that there was something that I would be willing to do and see if I could provide at least some of that direction and leadership and support to our staff. Are there specific subject areas that, that you think you have particular skill set in, or is it a general management leadership uh, function that you, you see yourself fulfilling? Yeah, my real skill set is in affordable housing, in real estate development, um, real estate finance. And so in those areas, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable with tax incremental financing. Um, I'm comfortable with uh, affordable housing, affordable housing initiatives. Um, I'm not a planner. Uh, and many people shorten the Department of Planning, Community, and Economic Development to the Department of Planning, and we're not. We're something more than that. Uh, the, the director of the planning division is Catherine Cornwell. Um, and so I really enjoy the variety that's there, and um, I'm enjoying getting this broad range of activities that I think are all really critical to having strong neighborhoods and a strong community. One of the places where you learned... And, and, and practiced affordable housing and economic development was at the Alexander Company. You spent about 13 years there. I know one of your big projects was that massive Meritor, Madison General, uh, Methodist adaptive reuse on West Washington. What are some of the other projects? Well, I worked, worked on, on a downtown Middleton, had an RFP out, and we did a development in downtown Middleton, which was the adaptive reuse of the old um, uh, I think it was the Pet Milk building, but it was an old historic building uh, with some commercial space and a hotel and some retail space. So it was a mixed-use development. Um, I did some work on a historic, uh, historic building, Daniel Burnham building in Memphis, Tennessee, when I first got to the Alexander Company Central Station, renovated that into housing. Um, I worked on a property in Verona, which was in their central city and was a RFP from the community. So a wide variety. In terms of the, the Methodist Meritor project that you worked on in Madison, what was your contemporaneous impression of the city process? The city process here is very difficult. Uh, it takes you, you need to understand it. You need to come in early and uh, talk to people about what is the process. A lot of community involvement, so it's critical to be in with the neighborhoods and talking with your alder. 
Um, and I really learned in the, the in Block 51, and I think is what it was called, the Capital West transaction, um, I really learned a lot about making sure I made those connections to the city, understood the process. Ultimately, that's one of the reasons why we have a good city is because there is a lot of planning and we do hold ourselves um, to the standards set forth in the plan and we do expect a strong um, communication process with neighbors. Uh, were there particular frustrations? Were there things that you said, boy, if I'm ever in charge, I'm going to fix that or I'm going to get rid of him? <laughs> I never thought I would get rid of anybody. Okay, well, things, uh, things to fix. Things to fix. Uh, in our development process, I think frequently people say that the planning, that going through the land use approvals is difficult. Um, I think the really difficult part is after you get through those uh, approvals, you get a memo that says here are all the conditions that you need to remove before or you need to meet before you can build your building permit. And those include um, items for the Madison Metropolitan Sewerage District, real estate office, uh, traffic engineering, parks fees, uh, and getting through that process with all of our different city divisions that aren't planning, but all of our different city uh, departments is really um, it's a it's a cumbersome process. And actually, we're, later on in this hour, we're going to talk about what all those steps are. Do do people who come from the private sector into the public sector bring something special? I know one of the reasons why Amy Scanlon is such a great preservation planner is that she spent time uh, as a private architect in Philadelphia. You spent time in, in the private sector. Do you bring something special that people who have only been in the public sector are missing in terms of what you've experienced on the other side? I think uh, I think we would like to have all of our employees bring a perspective that's not necessarily based in this building or in City Hall. And so whether you come from the private sector or whether you come from a different segment of government, maybe you come from uh, housing and urban development, from HUD, you bring an experience there. And so what we really, I think, see is those people who bring experiences that are from outside of our confines really make for a much richer and, and robust um, discussion on topics. And they have connections. They have people that they know from their other backgrounds that they can call on as we look at solving problems in our community. The place you come from immediately prior to the PCDED job was the Community Development Authority. We will try not to speak in too many acronyms or initials today, but we will occasionally refer to the CDA as well. Uh, In order to accept the permanent position at uh, PCDED, you had to give up the job of Executive Secretary at the CDA, which you had held for about five years. Uh, What are you proudest of from what you did at the CDA? What am I proud of? Um, at the CDA, we, I, I think as I came in as the executive director, and you said that I've given that up, but I haven't actually. I'm still performing as the executive okay. director, but with very qualified people doing most of the heavy lifting there. Um, but the uh, Community Development Authority runs um, public housing and the Section 8 voucher program, rental assistance for low-income families in our community. We serve 2,500 families. Um, and I think I'm really proud of the fact that we have very strong staff who really understand 
the customers that we serve who understand the struggles of being a low-income person and how we can really help them by giving them stable housing. Uh, the organization also does a variety of development of affordable housing, uh, and I think that's a good augmentation to see not just the federally subsidized housing, but also the other ways that we can create affordable housing in our community um, using a variety of tools and lining up those tools to really provide long-term affordability for some of our families. We will talk in, in more detail about the programmatic aspects, but just to f follow up on the fact that you're holding both jobs, the positions of head of the CDA and head of the planning department were combined about 50 years ago when Bjarne Romnes, who's the head of the housing agency, died, and Sal Levin, who's the head of the redevelopment agency, was so, so well-respected they combined the two positions. It continued that way until relatively recently, and, and they, they were separated again. Are you saying they're now being effectively combined again, or will you eventually, will the city eventually hire a full-time replacement to be executive secretary of the CDA? I don't know. I think we'll see how the next um, several months go uh, and see what happens with the staff that we have there. Since I was hired as the um, executive secretary, executive director of the CDA, we added another person, Matt Walker, who does a lot of the development work on the redevelopment side. Um, Augustine Olvera has run housing operations for a long time, and they are doing really most of the work, and so I'm at this point a figurehead. And so the question is, do we really need to hire somebody else, or do we have the staffing we need to do the work right now? And we just need to see how uh, that develops. Is there a timetable for that? I'd say, you know, we'll see how things go through the end of the year and then take a look at it in the first part of next year. One of the big things that was left undone was always was beginning to come to fruition we we hoped when i left the cda was the second phase of the allied mm -hmm. drive development the mosaic ridge we had done the revival ridge which was the affordable rental units and we're just starting in on the owner occupied units uh, there's money there was money in the 2015 capital budget for construction financing what what is the state of the owner occupied aspect of the Allied Drive development that we call Mosaic Ridge. It's just great that you asked. At our last CDA meeting, Stuart, we approved, the board approved, um, funding to build a spec home. So the first of the uh, homes will be starting construction this fall and will be completed in the spring. We have um, a house that I think Habitat for Humanity will be building um, using the design pattern that we have created. Um, and that, that I expect to be getting started in the not-too-distant future. And we have a, a local neighborhood advocate who has been with us since the planning of uh, Revival Ridge, and she's interested in having a house built. And we're working with her on a variety of financing sources that would make it possible for her to buy a house using her Section 8 voucher. What has taken so long to get this happening? Well, the housing market wasn't real strong. Um, we uh, put off starting construction for a while while we ran a home buyer education and readiness program for the people who lived in the neighborhood. And that was a 12-month program. People who didn't think they could necessarily afford a house or had credit issues were welcome to participate for free. And that program, people met every month. There was a, a home buyer counselor for each party really concentrated on repairing credit, creating credit, creating uh, bank accounts, and getting some savings together so that it could be a possibility for people to buy. Um, and we ran that program first to make sure that those 
people who participated in that program had the first option to to uh, look at buying a house. So it's taken a while for us to get all of the pieces in place, and uh, some of our buyers have relatively complicated financing. Um, but I think we're finally in a place where we can get a nice start and and have that carry on or have some momentum going. So you think you've got a cohort now of, of qualified buy, potential buyers in the Correct. neighborhood? Correct. Uh, speaking of financing, you were planning on going into banking uh, originally, and then you fell under the sway of the legendary real estate professor, James Grasscamp. What was it about the chief and his program that changed your life? When I took Introduction to Real Estate, the thing that I love the most about it is he had great stories, and I could really understand. You know, everybody walks around and sees real estate, corporate finance um, and banking. You know, how do you finance a company that's building widgets or selling shoes? But real estate, you can see it. We've all lived in an apartment, bought a house, um, been in an office building. Um, and he had great stories about um, how cities develop, how communities develop, uh, how buildings relate to each other and to the people who live in the community. Were there specific things you learned that you can apply either at the CDA or at the planning job? Oh, I think you can apply all of it. One of the things I remember him early on saying is when you make financial projections, they're always wrong. Uh, they may be a little high. They may be a little low. They might be a lot wrong. You try to make them as little wrong as possible, but they're never right because you're projecting into the future. Um, and so you can't spend time getting down to the very last detail when maybe you've made another assumption that really swings your numbers dramatically. You gotta get a big you gotta get a bigger picture and then kinda narrow down the assumptions. And so I use that a lot in terms of um, we we can't debate whether we are off by a penny on the rent or on the expenses. We need to make sure we have good basic assumptions and then use those to kind of steer the the project and the development. Well how how much what leeway do you have? I mean, well, I mean, what what's the error factor that you're comfortable with? I mean, a penny, yeah, but ten dollars, a eh, hundred dollars. I mean, at some point, it's like, okay, we don't know. I mean, you've got to have some degree of confidence in in, in, in your pro forma, don't you? Yeah, and I think you have to develop your con your your confidence by really looking at um, the realities, gathering information, making good assumptions, but making those assumptions based in data that you can collect. Um, and thinking through if it's not what if it's not the rents I think it's going to be or the expenses and they're significantly different, what is the impact on our development? How we structure? How do we structure against that risk? One more thing before we leave this, the CDA. Do you miss it? The day-to-day -day involvement of the CDA? Some of it I miss. Yes, I miss um, I miss some of the interactions with the staff in the CDA that I that I saw much more frequently than I do now. So technically, though, you are still the executive secretary, and, and when it comes to document signing and all the official actions, you are still the, the relevant staff person. That's correct. And I attend the board meetings as well. Yeah. Um, one of the things, we've got a couple of minutes before we take, this, uh, take a break, so maybe we'll only get a chance to start this part of the discussion, but one of the areas where there has been some great discrepancy between expected numbers and new numbers is Judge Doyle Square. Uh, to, for those who are joining us in the middle, Judge Doyle Square is a very complicated project that involves financing from a variety of sources. Uh, I, I think we may be, uh, well, we, can, we, can get, we can get a, a short start. Um, days after the City Council approved the first level development agreement with uh, 
the developers, the stock of exact sciences took a 46% drop. It has since gone even lower than that due to the recommendation of a federal agency re- involving whether or not their uh, ColoGuard uh, t- test for um, uh, cancer was uh, recommended or an alternative. How uneasy does that now make the city about the overall viability of the project? Oh, I think it makes us uneasy enough that the mayor sent a letter out to Exact and to JDS and asked them to answer a whole series of questions. And one of those questions is, what does this change mean to your income, your growth of employees and the amount of space that you're going to be able to take on in the future? And when do we expect to have an answer that... Uh is reliable. Sometime around October 28th is the deadline for the response, and the developer and exact are indicating that they can give us that information in that period of time. Now, a little while ago, you talked about respecting plans, having plans and, and, and honoring them. This project has required significant deviations from the TIF policy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't satisfy what the original concept of what that area needed, which was a hotel of a certain size. Uh, at, at what point, and the land is an incredibly valuable parcel. I mean, it's, it's in the back of this building. It's going to require some modifications. Why did the city feel, given the, the deviations that this plan required from accepted plans and the haste that it involved and the, the the financing, why did the city feel the need to, to do all those extraordinary things in this instance? Well, I think the um, opportunity to bring a, a biotech company downtown with the headquarters with 400 jobs, a uh, significant amount of job growth, uh, many of those jobs, living wage jobs, but jobs that somebody without a higher education can enter, whether it's in a call center or as a lab tech, um, a company that's been um, very strong in partnering with organizations like the Urban League to give people of color an opportunity to move into their um, organization and move up in their organization. Um, I think we look at our economic development policy uh, and strategies. We look at our uh, downtown plans. And having that type of employer downtown where anybody in the city can get here with a minimal of transfers on the bus um, and get to a job that's an entry-level job, paying living wage with good benefits, that seemed like a opportunity that, that was worth um, moving quickly to try to, uh, uh, to obtain or to, to capture. And we have to move quickly to take a break because we've got some important announcements. We'll continue with Natalie Erdman, the director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development on the November episode of Access City Hall on Mass and City Channel. We hope you stay with us. This close. Yes, this close. Two like borders. This close to making history. Of our We are this close. We are this close. This close to changing the world. We are this close to making sure no child suffers a crippling disease ever again. We are this close to making history. We are this close to ending polio. Because we are this close to ending polio. We are this close to ending polio. 
Most people probably think when it comes to horses, my passion is mainly for training and competition. But they're wrong. Growing up side by side with Australia's wildlife gave me a deep respect for every animal. And if I know my fans at all, I know you have the same passion for animals that I do. So I had to tell you about an organisation I believe in, one that makes a difference in the lives of animals all over the world, the Morris Animal Foundation. For more than 60 years, animal lovers like me have trusted Morris Animal Foundation to help animals worldwide enjoy longer, healthier lives. I am asking you to do the same. Visit morrisanimalfoundation.org to support animal health and welfare worldwide. Your gift today, mate, will give animals a healthier tomorrow. You and the animals you love will be glad you did. Welcome back to the November episode of Access City Hall on the Madison City Channel. I'm still Stu. You're still you. We are still talking with Natalie Erdman, the Director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development. Continuing with with Judge Doyle Square, were you surprised that this became such a controversial project? I don't know. I don't know if I was surprised or not. Um, Any project of this size and scope and... Um, with the impacts that it has on our downtown, I guess you would expect that there would be a lot of open and, and candid discussion about it. What happens if the report is, you know, we're, we're not the, the exact science that says, you know, we can't really comfortably predict that the recommendation will be revised and it may just stay an alternate treatment. Common sense would indicate that means they're hiring ramp up will be slower, that they will not hire as many people as quickly. What does that do to the overall economic viability of the project? I think they've indicated uh, previously that uh, if the recommendation is not revised, it's not that they're not a growing company, they just would be growing more slowly. And it really means going out and picking up those outside private insurers one by one versus getting uh, broader range. They they have uh, reimbursement agreements with Medicare and Medicaid, I believe, um, and and they have people who are using ColoGuard and doctors that are prescribing it. So I think the question is, well, what does that mean to their growth, and is that growth enough for them to occupy um, 200,000 square feet of space uh, by 2017, 2018? Um, or is it something less than that amount? And those are the questions they're going to have to help us work through, and we'll see what the answers come back. It's really ultimately up to the council and the Board of Estimates in terms of the direction that we go uh, after we get that information. The indications are that the city only talked to one analyst when, in trying to find to ascertain whether or not the... Um, the future of exact sciences. This is this is before mm-hmm. the report. Now I've I've read the conference call between Kevin Conroy and the analysts the day after the report. And I was I was frankly very impressed at how much the analysts knew about the science of what the color guard was and w- of 
the operational realities of exact sciences. So I assume that all those analysts are, are equally qualified, but is it a good idea to just get one analyst's commentary, or, or would it have been better to, to get a couple? Um, uh, you know, would have been... There was uh, the negotiating team... Um, read more information on Kolagard than that one analyst. We got that analyst's name from a third party that said this is a, somebody who understands this company and give, can give you good information. Um, the city of Madison was not looking at making an equity investment into exact sciences. We were looking at uh, making an investment in a building that was being developed by JDS with exact sciences as a major tenant. Um, but there were there are a number of other um, securities. We have a mortgage on the building. Um, that if Exact Sciences didn't grow sufficiently or didn't make their lease, we would still have a developer and their lenders and investors on that building who would who would have money to put into it and to retenant it. Um, so I'm I'm I think we did work on Exact Sciences. I think we tried to understand their business, but we weren't making a direct equity investment into Exact Sciences. The city just last week reduced the assessment for the Edgewater from substantially by, by tens of millions of dollars because it was not as profitable as had been expected. If exact sciences ramps up more slowly and there's, and there's fewer hiring, does that potentially affect its assessment? I think the office buildings uh, that exact sciences would occupy is going to get assessed based on its uh, cash flow as well as its cost to complete. And, and you'd have talked to the assessor's office about if there were a tenant that was not as large, um, does that affect the assessment? If you have some other tenant that takes up the rest of that space, the answer would be no. As a matter of fact, it might get assessed higher because those other tenants might pay more in rent than exact sciences. So um, there are a number of pieces that go into that assessment um, that are not just the exact sciences piece. You don't have any responsibility for the parking utility, but assuming this best case scenario, the development goes through and, and everything is fine, we start construction. What is life like going to be on the square between now and 2017 once construction starts? Well, we've talked at a great length about what our alternatives are. Uh, we are looking at a, uh, talking with Urban Land Institute, which will have some parking available at the new Anchor Bank site about whether they would be willing to park transient parkers. The government east ramp for the parking utility serves primarily transients, people who are there for three hours or less. They don't serve very many monthly parkers. Um, and so really we have to concentrate on how we handle those transients in our downtown, as well as really concentrating on Monona Terrace and the days where they go dark, so to speak, where they close their ramp to outside hourly parkers because they have a big convention. And we need to look at each of those dates when they're having um, big conventions in 2016 and 2017 and look at some alternatives for ways for people to come to those conventions without necessarily driving their car right downtown. So maybe there's a shuttle system from a nearby lot on the east side and the west side. Haven't worked out those details yet, but those are things we're going to have to really work carefully on in, con in conjunction with the Convention and Visitors Bureau and our colleagues at Monona Terrace and then the other downtown business owners. On a scale of, I don't know, 1 to 100, what's your confidence factor that the Judge Doyle Square construction will begin as anticipated, as scheduled, on time? 
Well, I think in this, since we're losing several weeks right here and have lost a couple of weeks on schedule on time, is going to be very difficult. Um, and uh, I think the city of Madison has been working on this for five, six years. This is probably the third rendition of Judge Doyle Square. So uh, it's important that we get it right. And if it takes more time, then that's something that should be given to getting it right. Do you expect that the what, – what, what's your confidence factor that the, the – Development agreement that was approved, uh, I think it was 12 to 6 a few weeks ago, will in fact be the development agreement that is completed. Yeah, I can't, I can't guess at that. We're mm-hmm. going to deal with the realities that we have. We need to get some more information. We need to process that information and then we need to make sure that we can give our policymakers the same good information for them to make decisions on. Moving to another big-ticket item, uh, the public market. Mm-hmm. The 2015 capital budget, had, uh, the approved capital budget, had six and a quarter million dollars in it for the, for the public market. The 26 and, and 2015 budget anticipated another two and a half million or 2.3 million dollars in 2016 and 2017 for the public market. The mayor's proposed capital budget, recently released has nothing until the year 2021. It has $10 million in the year 2021. What happened that a project that had money already approved last year and anticipated money this year and next is now put off until 2021? So over the last year, a lot of work has been done on the public market. And as a matter of fact, I think the council just approved the uh, public market um, business plan which really looked at where, started from the very beginning, where would a public market do best, what's included in a public market, um, what would the, the operating and business model be for that. And in that process, over the last two years, it was determined that uh, a city facility, which is currently occupied by Fleet, on the east side at First Street, and East Washington, approximately, um, was a good location, and, and that that building would be renovated would would do well to be renovated into the public market. Um, unfortunately, our fleet services folks need to build and move to a new location at Nakusa before it would be available. That building would be available, and uh, there's only so fast that the city can move. They're working on. Um, moving fire admin out to Nakusa right now. They would need to do plans for fleet. And it looks like even under a reasonable basis, it would probably be 2019 before fleet could be moved to their new location. Um, so I think the budget reflects some of the realities of the timing of making that building available. And uh, as we went through the business plan and we got more information and we looked at that location as the right location, um, it changed our perspective on when the building would be available. Does a business plan that is adopted, is devised in 2014 and 2015, is that business plan going to still be valid in 2021? Yeah, I'm sure there will be um, updates and more thinking, but it really gives a good model and a good indication of how and and what should be in a public market based on best practices and other public markets and um, there's still a lot of work to do to put the framework in place. Um, so that's a, that's, it was really, it's really useful for us now to have that business plan and to begin to work on how and who would operate the public market. A lot of work that needs to be done in that category. Um, uh, what are the details of getting it built and the construction plans that would be needed? And I think that's all 
um, informative to our work. So that business plan is very important for us to be able to take the next steps that are needed. That's going to be very disappointing to the, to the staff that worked on it to have yeah. this put off like that. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about um, multiple ways that the public market um, needs to maintain momentum and whether that's some temporary markets, uh, whether that's the work on, like I said, the organization that would operate fundraising for the public market, so we're not just laying the bill for the public market at the feet of the city of Madison. Um, there's a lot of work, so let's get to work doing that. And uh, you never know what's going to happen. There might be some alternatives that come up in terms of location or um, interim locations, uh, but we should we should adopt the business plan, and start working on the details that are necessary to make it happen. There's another food-related initiative in roughly the same quadrant of the city, uh, the uh, reuse of the Garver feed mill Mm -hmm. or the the old sugar Mm -hmm. castle. What is the status of that development? The developers making good progress. They have uh, been through their first round of land use approvals. Um, they're in the process of putting some tenants in place and the financing that's necessary, and we expect them to start construction beginning of next year. Well, I think they have to come to the Landmarks Commission first. Well, they'll have you know? to come see you first, okay, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, They've been with you at least once already, yeah, though. Yeah? yeah, they'll um, be back. On, on, on the, the one more thing on the public market. That, that 2015 capital budget of that $6.25 million, Three and a quarter million was from general obligation bonds. Was that money actually included in a bond issue? No. How, how, do, how do you know? Uh, what, what are the steps? It, it was in the adopted budget. Correct. How did you know not to put it into a bond issue? Finance department is, I think, just floating, just floated our bonds last week for 2015. And so what the city will do will fund items that are ready to go uh, in the in the let's say the 2015 capital. Um, budget, and then issue the bonds later in the year. By the time they were getting ready to issue those bonds, it was clear that we would not be in a position to start construction and spend a lot of money on the public market in 2015. And so they did not include that money in the in the 2015 bond issuance. Were there any other projects that had that were in the adopted 2015 capital budget that that anticipated bonding that you pulled back on and, and didn't? Every issues? year, every year there are a fair number of projects that don't progress in the time frame set forth, um, and frequently that money is rolled over to the following year um, or modified as we get more information about the costs that are going to be incurred. Uh, so, I mean, but off the top of your head, do you know of any other big ticket uh, items? I'd have to go through and okay. look at those. Let's, let's talk about some things that um, are in the. 2016 budget. Well, one, one thing that was in the 2015 budget that anticipated yearly uh, borrowing was the affordable housing yeah. fund, uh, for about four and a half million dollars between four and a half and five, four point seven five, and then tapering off to three and a half to four million. Is that does that represent four to five million dollars in borrowing each year? That's new money each year. Yes. And, and what will that be used for? There's two things. Each year we have a plan to do at least one permanent supported housing development, which is housing that would be very affordable, have supportive services for people and families that have experienced homelessness, and the services would help those people or families stay stable in their housing. 
and the city has uh, one development under construction at Rethke and is working on the second, which is out on Tree Lane. And so we have about a million and a half dollars a year that we've budgeted for that initiative, which is housing for people who have experienced homelessness, heavy supportive services. We also... Now, is that the housing first or is that something... It is a housing first model, correct. Um, In addition to that, our city just needs housing that's affordable to people who don't make a lot of income. And um, we've found uh, a new system that we're working on, which is once a year we go out for a request for proposals to the development community for developers who are who are anticipating using low-income housing tax credits, which is a federal tax credit administered by the Wisconsin Housing and Economic Development Authority, where we can provide them additional money that would allow them to score better on those applications for those federal tax credits. And last year we issued a RFP. Uh, we had three developers that we backed on tax credits. Three, we I think we had four total. Three of them got credits. Um, and those parties are in the process of putting their deals together and constructing about 200 units of affordable housing. We're doing the same thing again this year. And so we're using about $3 million of that allocation each year to support these tax credit transactions where we're leveraging other sources of money to get affordable housing in our community. And those, those last items you talked about, those are all privately owned. The the Housing First model, the, the, Rethke, the Rethke project, mm-hmm. Who designed, who, yeah. who, who, who's responsible for that? Where did that come from? Um, and the difference there was that the city of Madison actually selected the site and then issued a request for proposals for a developer and a service provider. And so the Rethke model, Heartland Housing, which is a development organization that specializes in housing for homeless populations, and their sister company, Heartland Health Outreach, applied and were selected. And they're, while we're providing them with funding, they're doing all of the design, construction, um, and, and ultimately operating those properties. And when will that be open? Uh, probably May of next year, maybe April. Okay. We're talking with Natalie Erdman, the Director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development. We're going to take a short pause for some important announcements and be back with more. It's the November episode of Access City Hall on the Madison City Channel. We hope you'll stay with us. If I ride, I will know the way the trees smell after the rain. I will grow a heart so strong that hospitals will take Tuesdays off. If I ride uphill, I will eventually get to ride downhill. That's how it works. If I ride, my breath will fill the air instead of smoke and car exhaust. If I ride, road rage will turn into laughter. And I won't be a boy or a girl. I will just be a rider. If I ride, I will be strong. It could cost you around $10,000. You'll face major legal fees, major fines, and steep insurance penalties. You could lose everything. 
Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. Welcome back to the November episode of Access City Hall on the Mass and City Channel. I'm Stu Levitan. We're talking with Natalie Erdman. She's the director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development for the City of Madison. And in this segment, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a project and see just how many, just what the steps are in terms of the relationship between the developer and, and the city reviewing agencies, the reviewing staff, and the reviewing uh, commissions and boards. And we're going to focus on a big-ticket project on the Capitol Square, the Anchor Bank redevelopment project. It was, it was uh, in 1964 that Anchor Bank was built. You can tell from that beautiful precast concrete design that was all the rage during the age of the Great Society um, and is now being uh, seriously updated, and a pretty bizarre parking ramp is being has actually already been torn down. Uh, some of the additional complications of this project are it is between two registered landmarks. It involves tax incremental financing and all sorts of uh, complicated steps. So we're going to spend a couple minutes or most of this segment to, to walk through what the, relate, what the developer urban land interests had to do, when it had to do it, and, and how the city review process Mm-hmm. Um, start. So where would a project like that have started? All of those uh, highly complex uh, developments start with a developer coming in and talking with staff, usually staff who are in the Department of Planning, Community, and Economic Development. So of particular interest there would have been our planning staff and our zoning staff. Um, and uh, the developers who have been around a while come in early and uh, give us an indication of, here's what I'm thinking about doing. Um, Urban Land's a very sophisticated organization, but frequently there's questions about what is the zoning on this property and do I comply with that zoning? Um, what are the plans? What does the comprehensive plan say about what should be on this site and do I comply with that? Uh, and then what do the neighborhood plans say and am I in compliance? In the Anchor Bank uh, case, that development was an office building that was conti- going to continue to be an office building, so we know the zoning is correct and it's in compliance with its plans. Um, but from there, there's a discussion about, uh, you know, what's the height, what's the um, size, what are the requirements that we have in terms of um, mass. And I think in that case, they were they were redoing the building and bumping it out some. They were also wanting to add parking, and, and their uh, desire was to put parking underneath Carroll Street. And that means they would have to buy subterranean rights from the city of Madison, who owns the street, and come up with a series of agreements um, for how that um, construction would take place and uh, how the purchase of those subterranean rights would work. So there's, um, when developers come in, the first thing is that planning and zoning and how do you comply. Um, there's requirements that you notify the neighbors and that you notify your alder before you actually submit for any changes in land use. Um, and so we always want to get them started on that early on. As you know, because of landmarks, if you're going to demolish a building, you need to go online at least 30 days before you submit for your land use and let everybody on the listserv know that you're taking a building down. Um, and that gives people an opportunity to determine whether that building is a building of significance or not. Um, so when people come in early, we spend a lot of time talking through um, all of the process so that nothing surprises them as they get ready to come in for a request for a, a land use change. 
Um, if they're planning on using tax incremental financing, then we want to get them together with the Economic Development Division, uh, who administers that, and there's a separate application for financing that gets underwritten. And so that's um, that's a process that they need to work in uh, as they go through their building designs and their original cost estimates and their sources of uses, sources and uses. So, so what's the the so they've come in and they've met with. You know, Bill Fruling or Catherine Cornell mm-hmm. met with someone in the planning mm-hmm. division, and they say, "Okay, the your zoning is fine. You're you're you don't need any subdivisions of land. You're mm-hmm. you're 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 not in a historic district. You're you're next to some landmarks, so you need to deal with that. Uh, what what what's the next thing the developer does after being told, okay, my zoning's going to be okay?" Now do I do my construction drawings, or, or what do I do next? So frequently in there, uh, particularly with our current zoning code, somebody might need a conditional use. So if you're in, I, I believe if you're in the downtown core, or if you're developing more than 24 units of housing, um, you need what's called a conditional use permit. And, and that may require that you go to our urban design committee with your plans. And in this case, um, I think Anchor Bank was required to get urban design uh, approval or recommendation before they went to the plan commission. Um, if you're adjacent to a historic landmark, I believe you have to go to our uh, landmarks commission, which uh, you uh, chair. Uh, you're very capable of chairing. Um, so a lot of times what we do is work through here is here are the many of these developments do need a subdivision or um, do need some modification to their lot lines in the block. And so we're really talking them through, these are the approvals you need. You need to submit your plans by this date. Um, you, you will then be on an agenda on this date. You need to be to UDC before you go to plan commission. You need to be at plan commission before you go to the council. Um, and so it's a matter of walking people through all of those deadlines and uh, what the implication is in terms of their schedule. And while they're discussing all the land use approval aspects, What's Joe Gramacki and the TIF office doing? Are, are, are they working on the TIF analysis while these land use approvals are under consideration on the anticipation that the land use approvals will go through, or do they wait until the land use approvals have been uh, obtained before then they devote significant staff time to, mm-hmm. to that a- activity? Most often they're working with their TIF staff at the same time they're going through their land use approvals. So those are together. Um, you mentioned earlier the uh, having to talk, talking to neighborhood associations. Mm-hmm. Um, do neighborhood associations in Madison have too much influence in the land use and economic development process? No, I don't think they have too much influence. I, I, I think that uh, we're a community that really values an open and transparent process. And... Uh, and I think that uh, the implications of our built environment are fairly significant on the people that live or work or recreate around them. Um, and so I wouldn't, uh, I, I think they have an appropriate place in the process of discussing changes to our urban fabric. Is the process that ULI has gone through on, on the Anchor Bank approvals the same process? Maybe not with, I'm not, I'm not sure if Capital West had, had TIF mm-hmm. aspects or, or underground parking, but is it the same process that you would have gone through on Capital West, or has the city in any way, any material way, changed the process 
since then? The, the um, a couple of years ago, we went through a, the Economic Development Commission went through a review of the land use approval process and made some recommendations. And a number of those recommendations have been implemented. And one of those is a pre-application meeting, which is what I was referring to before. So instead of having a developer show up with their plans done and check them in at the counter and say, I want to rezone my site, we really encourage people to come in early, particularly if it's a blank site or if it's a site where there's going to be significant demolition. Um, having people come in and say, this is how I'm going to position my buildings and this is uh, what I'm planning to do and making sure that we check in on whether they are in compliance with the zoning, whether they are in compliance with the plan, really makes the process go more smoothly. At what point are they required or comfortable or, or safe in actually going to the construction drawings? When, when do they undertake that expense? You know, each developer will do it somewhat differently, and it depends perhaps on some of the complications of you know what level of approvals you need and uh, how much uh, back and forth might there be. Um, so it, it depends on the developer. Um, I think people would want to have a preliminary idea of uh, which direction the zoning was going, if they need a change of zoning or if they need a conditional use permit or if they need approval from the Urban Design Commission, I think people want to get a pretty good indication there before they spend the money on a set of construction documents. Is there a, a standard rule of thumb on how much, what percentage of the overall project cost is represented by soft costs like the architectural drawings, the construction documents, mm -hmm. uh, and other staff yeah. and soft costs? Pretty much depends on the deal. It really depends on the complication of the transaction. And a big commercial infill development is going to have higher um, uh, design fees than if you're doing an apartment building on a green field. So it, where, where somebody has can pull out a set of plans that just fit onto the site, much much different type of product. One of the uh, there's there's going to be uh, rental units in in this project. Anyone who's been around Madison the last couple of years is just stunned by the number of huge mm. apartment buildings. Most of them upscale students, but also epic. You know, you got the Constellation, the Galaxy, Lucky Hub, Hub Two, and we're still a thousand. We're still substantially under what we need. How and where is Madison going to build a thousand additional units a year? Well, I think we still have infill sites. As we look at our major transportation corridors, those are appropriate places for multifamily housing. Um, I think we want to protect our neighborhoods that are behind those major transportation corridors. Um, but we still have good infill sites. Um, if you look at uh, East Washington Avenue, Park Street, um, moving out towards some of our uh, re the regional mall, West Town, East Town, places where we have good transportation. Um, those are places where we should be looking at um, that type of multifamily use. Um, and then we want to make sure, like I mentioned, that as we do that, that we protect the fabric of our neighborhoods that are smaller scale um, because those are unique places to live in the city, and we want those to continue to be um, places that have that unique feeling of neighborhood. Um, be before we leave the Anchor Bank, one more thing mm -hmm. with Anchor Bank. Between Anchor Bank and Block 89 and the anticipated in a couple of years project redevelopment of the first block of North Pinckney Street, um, 
Is there going to come a time when we sell naming rights to ULI that it'll be the ULI Square? Because, <laughs> because they will have pretty much dominated half the square yeah. with with their. Well, I don't know if you mentioned the the U.S. Bank building, okay, uh, which is also owned by right. and, and managed by ULI. They have been a tremendous developer for the city of Madison and have put a really good quality buildings in our downtown, but they control a lot of property. Naming rights, you know, you can, you can make some <laughs> coin out of this. I'm not kidding. Uh, let's talk about some of the other uh, projects that are in the 2016 capital budget as proposed by the mayor. There's $10 million proposed for geo bonds for the t- tax incremental district on the capital gateway corridor, which is not for residential, but for economic and industrial growth. What What is that supposed to do? You know, I believe that that is the um, that is the uh, First Street, First Street, East Washington Avenue, and Blount. That'll uh, be part this, of fleet services. This is not fleet oh, services. Oh. This um, property is about a uh, parking structure. There is a proposed uh, proposed development in the 800 block of East Washington Avenue that would house starting block mm-hmm. and a fairly significant piece of uh, of office space. And uh, that developer can put a, f- a fair amount of um, job-related um, office use if the city can build a parking structure across the street on land that's owned by MG&E. And so we're working with MG&E to determine whether the parking utility of the city of Madison could build that parking structure and make the parking available for those major tenants in the 800 block um, development. And that relates to a TIF transaction on the parking structure. Okay. Union Corners. Mm-hmm. What's the status of Union Corners? There's, the, there's money in the, in the 2016 budget capital project for that. That's been a project that has had fits and starts mm-hmm. for many years. What's its current status? Um, the Gorman Company has taken down three parcels. Uh, the first is the UW Clinic building that they're building. The second is a building at the corner of um, East Washington Avenue, and is that Milwaukee Street? Yeah. Milwaukee Street, um, which has a grocery and apartments. And the third is uh, c- contains two affordable housing um, buildings, uh, multifamily rental. Uh, and they're under construction on the clinic and getting ready to start construction on the other two components. So over the next couple of years, we'll see quite a bit of construction there at Union Corners. Do we know when the final build-out will be? There's two more parcels that have been slated for co-housing, and I think that those will come along depending on the um, co-housing proposals and how quickly they can put together a, a truly feasible project. Okay. Also on the east side or further on the east side, Royster Clark, the Royster Clark mm-hmm. pro- property. There's a proposed bonding for a little bit over $3 million dollars in uh, the the mayor's uh, operating uh, capital budget, what will that do? We continue to support um, the development at Royster Clark, which has some single-family homes, has some employment. Um, As you know, the Penny Library is uh, looking at going in. There's currently some affordable housing that's already being developed there. I believe that capital funding is for infrastructure costs in relationship to the Royster Clark development. Really a great great infill development on our east side, removal of a uh, significantly blighted site, and creating a community center in that area. One of the alders during the Judgeville Square debate a few weeks ago was, was Alder Palm. Uh, 
his his opposition sort of boiled down to we've done enough for downtown. It's time to start doing stuff on in the in the other neighborhoods. How do you balance the the relative importance of downtown, the the, the heart of the isthmus, versus the neighborhoods that go further and further out from from the mm-hmm. central city? You know, the downtown um, core, because we're on an isthmus, is really uh, the spot that's best served by transportation. And um, having a strong core, which is um, well served by transport, is very important. Um, I think we can continue to do things in uh, areas outside the downtown, but I think we have to also focus on how we make best use of the property that we have downtown, how we create strong tax base, strong employment, but also mix in housing, um, and entertainment so that we get a, a good multi-use um, space in the downtown. And I don't think I, I, we have a great downtown plan that was just done. We should be carrying out that plan. Part of We've just got a minute left. Part, part of the entertainment complex downtown is the Overture Center. The mayor's budget, the, there, there's money in for Overture with the funds to be uh, oversight for the funds to be provided by the Mass and Arts Commission. How does the, how does the Arts Commission oversee funding, funds spent by the Overture Center? Well, I believe in the 2016 budget um, that uh, funding for the Overture has been moved out of the Department of Planning, Community Economic Development, and is now being run through a different group because it's being paid for by room tax. Okay, but it says that continually that the Arts Commission will... We'll find Bad, out. We'll find out. And, I, I, and on that note, we are going to have to leave it. It has been my pleasure to have Natalie Erdman, the Director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development. This has been the November episode of Access City Hall on the Madison City Channel. For everyone here at the Madison City Channel, I'm Stu Levitan. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.